about taking media action, find the problem, fix the problem. This is your opportunity. It's either a hell yes or a fuck no. It's that simple. <laughs> now is the time to take action. Now's the time to do more and be more. Welcome to the Tango One Podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Stephen Kidd, financial advisor. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Steve Kidd, your local Edward Jones financial advisor, he focuses on what's important to you. You'll work together and use established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And you'll partner to help your strategy stay on track. Contact Stephen Kidd today at 519-734-8599, 734-8599, area code 519. Edward Jones, member Canadian Investor Protection Group. It's a tough one. Welcome to the Tango One Podcast. I am Tony Smith. I'm a retired cop and tactical team leader. I am the founder and the owner, co-founder and co-owner of the Garage Gym and Tango One Solutions. I'm joined by my friend, co-host, Fireman, amateur stuntman, and garage gym trainer, Casey Wright. Our mission every week is to challenge you and guide you to create an immediate action plan against your problems and your weaknesses. Simply put, we want you to do more and be more. Our guest today, very special to me, is Dr. Sean Harrington. Dr. Sean Harrington, I was going to wear a collar because we had a doctor in the house, but we thought, you know, (laughs) he's pretty relaxed and he's a brewmaster so we could have some drinks and relax. So Sean is a clinical psychologist. He has a private practice here in Windsor, Ontario. He grew up in a police family, which led basically to, to his, most of his practice, uh, treating individuals from the populations of first responders and military personnel. Uh, he's undergone all kinds of training uh, to specialize in PTSD, and while completing his PhD, he studied psychotherapy in great detail. Like I said, he's a part-time brewmaster. Uh, my, Sean and I have a, like a pretty cool relationship. I worked with Sean's dad when both of us were brand new on the police service. Almost 20 years ago, we walked the beat together downtown, so I remember Sean from when he was a little kid. And then years and years and years later, even after I retired, I reached out to his father, Tim, and he connected me with Sean so that I could get the help that I needed. Probably a little bit too late, but he's, uh, he's got me feeling a lot, lot better, and we're going to talk all kinds of detail about that today. So thanks for having me, or thanks for coming, Sean. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so messed up because I'm used to the guy uh, Sean's asking the questions to. So it's got me, uh, I'm like discombobulated today. It's a reverse role for me too. I'm usually asking the questions and sitting back. So I don't know. All right. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, I hope it's going to go well. <laughs> it's going to go well. I know this is a topic that a lot of our uh, listeners and our friends, not just first first responders, but anybody who has any kind of anything going on, which is almost everybody in the world, right? Everyone. Yeah, so there's uh, a type of therapy and the founder basically says like human suffering is universal, right? So uh, we all go through stuff at, at times in our lives. With, we might have periods where we're feeling better or well, but everybody by and large has gone through something, right? Right. 
So yeah, let's. So today's episode, man, we want to talk to you about a little bit about PTSD because we do have a lot of first responders that listen. Uh, anxiety, stigma, the stigma behind mental health, and uh, how mental health and physical health kind of go hand in hand, which is one of the premises of the Garage Gym. And for me personally, like we can put it out there because. Like, I feel like a lot of people just think it's like this PTSD thing, but like anything that's caused you some kind of trauma in your life, you can kind of relate towards what I have. It just is going to be a different kind of stressor, right? So I really want other people to hopefully learn from the experiences that I went through with you and how we knock down those doors and what we can expect with me going further and things of that sort. So everybody can kind of learn from this and hopefully get you some business in a really good way, which, because if you're getting business, it means one of our guys is getting some help or girls, right? Yeah, very true. So, growing up, you grew up in a police family, obviously, right? Your dad, Tim, uh, who hung out with a bunch of cops, too, prior to getting hired on the police department and uh, has been around the block as as far as uh, <laughs> downtown Windsor. That guy knew everybody and anybody. Um, what made you just kind of like, how did this develop? How did you get into, like, I know when my dad was a cop, I wanted to be a cop. And was this an avenue that you just kind of stranded for? Um yeah like not not right away no it was kind of unexpected i don't know i wanted to do a bunch of things kind of typical when you're young um my dad uh he he loves his job loves policing uh was doing well in school but he was always like just keep going you know what i mean uh keep keep doing well keep uh stay in school so i listened to him um there's times maybe that i wanted to be a police officer um yeah again i was more of a science guy and then i took a course in high school uh, it was psychology based. I loved it, and then I got to talk to uh, Dr. Uh, Bill McDermott. I don't know. He yeah. used to be the police psychologist. Yeah, 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 great guy. Did a lot of trauma work, like both within the city and then all over the world. I think he went to like 9/11, those those types of things. So I got to talk to him through my connection uh, through my dad. Obviously, uh, my dad did peer support stuff with the police, and uh, Dr. McDermott was a psychologist. So yeah, that course combined with talking to Dr. McDermott really piqued my interest. Um, it was a last minute thing. I applied to the university for psychology. All the uh, rest of the programs I applied to were science-based. Uh, I ended up going with psychology. So. Cool, so when you sign up for psychology, now within psychology, do you get routed a certain way or does everybody kind of graduate with a psychology degree? Like how does that work? Is there specialties within? Um, I think there's like a child and development specialty. I was just in like, you know, psychology. If you want to go on and go to grad school, you do like an honors thesis. So it's basically a research project and then uh, you, you go from there and apply. Um, so yeah, I was in the basic one with the thesis. I wrote a little uh, project, did a little bit of uh, a therapy study and uh, then applied to graduate school from there. And when did the, the, like, the route towards the police officers kind of start? Um, University? No, I think I was thinking about it after meeting uh, Dr. McDermott there in high school, like my last year of high school. Um, yeah, and then just, uh, I think around the same time my dad started getting involved with the peer support. Um, I saw like the, the need for it. Um, I like, uh, you know, I like hanging out with police officers, emergency, emergency personnel. They're pretty laid back people, right? Kind of tell it as it is. Uh, so I appreciate working with that population. And uh, yeah, kind of geared things from there. All right, so Tim, your dad. Timmy Ho is uh, 
he was, I don't know, maybe 10 years older than me. So when he like, when he got hired, he was in his like mid thirties and I was in my uh, mid twenties. He was 39. Was he 39? Uh, yeah. He I think was, he turned 40 at police college. And he had to jump in on the bicycles with me. And uh, it was like an <laughs> eye opener for him. It was an eye opener for me. But the first thing I learned and we talk and we've used this in other podcasts, especially uh, speaking on the racial terms a couple of weeks ago, I learned from your dad. I learned a lot is one was like his ability to relate to even like, like somebody would be driving by and you would think that's the lowest of the low uh, type of person. And your dad could go over and like, you know, a guy who's been living on the street, somebody that people, other, other officers or other people would demean, your dad would just be able to like relate to these guys. Yeah. And he was like the king of catching bees with honey. Like <laughs> he would just lay it on and people would do what we wanted him to do without us having to fight, which is like probably one of the greatest skills I learned. Then he used that communication to really like, he really pushed a lot of that peer counseling. You know, there's a lot of great people that, that were involved in it, but your dad was like the catalyst from, I would say, called the people's, the people's version of it. Cause your dad was walking amongst the constables, still is, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Right, is. which like in the police service is a lot of trust issues when it does come to seeking help or conveying like a personal problem to somebody else. So that was always huge with your dad. Yeah, he's he has great like interpersonal skills. Like, probably picked that up from him and then uh growing up i just always saw him uh making himself available to people helping people out um, so i think and he grew up in the west end so i think the combination of growing up in the west end plus you know his people skills probably probably served him well right in the job yeah for sure i mean we talked about the west end a great deal on this thing and it's like its own little like place its own little community and I feel like everybody that comes out of it, whether they end up with a criminal record or become a police officer, they just seem to be like salt of the earth type people that really take care of each other and know how to like speak and, and stick together in this weird way, police yeah. and criminals. So those interpersonal skills that people have that you really can't measure on paper, right? And those are so important I find in like, especially a job like yours in, a, in like police force is like having the ability to go into a room or like one like thing we always talk about at home is like going into the bar and you know all walks of earth and through programs through school or having these things not burning bridges with people mm -hmm. and then it's a, like i always think like you have everyone in the room who has your back in a fight <laughs> no matter what side of the room's fighting right now if you know everyone a little bit then you're probably not going to get hit you're good yeah <laughs> and now you can resolve conflict within that so that's a good skill to have and what i've heard of your dad he, he's one of the top guys for that so that's great yeah. so while we're on this topic of your dad so <laughs> Myself, I, this is how it kind of all comes to be with me and how Sean and I's relationship really started. You know, we knew each other through the Special Olympics and through your father, but really never really sat down to, to speak until I came to your office. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So uh, I had a real hard go. I was, I've seen some, some things and done some things, and uh, you guys can all read about those or hear about those another day. I don't need to be telling you about the, the murders and the, uh, the, the dead children in, like, in detail, but it was a lot of things building up over a lot, a lot of years and left policing probably a lot to do with leaving policing was those terrible feelings i was having and i thought i could escape it i thought i could fix this all myself i made all kinds of strides through changing my diet almost 10 years ago it's really getting into nutrition and really getting into exercise and the the problems didn't go away they got better for a bit but then they wouldn't go away then i left the police service the problems got better but they didn't go away and the more i improved the problem stayed and I remember it being after cruise and bruise and I had been staying at our our cottage I left everybody uh, downtown 
took a couple of buddies who had been down from New York City. We went to stay at our cottage. Those guys checked out in the morning and I stayed to get some work done. And I remember just being the worst and making me feel the lowest I've ever felt. I came home that day. I sat with uh, Danny and my kids and I tried to write some things out and I couldn't get it together. And uh, I snapped on one of my sons and then Danny's like, you know, you got to get some help. Will you please get some help? And so I made a phone call to your dad who without any hesitation, I think you called me within two hours and we had an appointment. So I think it's really important that anybody's listening understands that it was that easy to get some help. And really, I, I feel like your dad's going to be pissed that I even bring up his name that he set this up. But like, I feel like people <laughs> got to know there is somebody that they can trust out there. So can you explain to me what like one of my biggest holds was I didn't know what PTSD was. I felt like I had it, but I also didn't want to not have it when I went to go ask for help. Do you know what I mean? So what yeah. is PTSD? So PTSD, uh, I guess like a Coles Notes version here is... Um Basically, it, it used to be an anxiety disorder, now it's a trauma. Uh, it's categorized as a trauma disorder. Um, so what happens is you have some re-experiencing of the event. So that can take the form of uh, nightmares. You know, we, you hear that in the media a lot. It could also take the form of like intrusive thoughts. So you're just going about your day and maybe you had a particularly bad incident and that, that just kind of keeps coming into your awareness all day. Um, the other thing uh, is flashbacks. I think that's... Uh, you know portrayed in the media a lot especially uh, movies it's actually pretty rare but a flashback would be like you're actually experiencing whatever that traumatic event is um and and sorry i should back up a little bit in order for it to be classified as a traumatic event it has to be like a threat uh of harm or death to you or or, or someone else and you would have to witness this i think there are uh some caveats like if you're uh, like a police officer for example and you hear hear of this you don't have to be present uh, it could still um, be classified as a traumatic event which is like dispatchers so yeah, dispatchers yeah communicators dispatchers yep exactly um, in some rare circumstances just hearing uh, a, a story from somebody it, it can um, trigger PTSD again that's relatively rare um, so yeah so the traumatic event then you have a re-experiencing of the event then you have some like increase in arousal so like uh, not sexual arousal tony uh the <laughs> the autonomic kind of arousal that, that goes with uh with anxiety um don't say sex around the kid here casey oh, gets sorry he gets too fired up too quick <laughs> anyways keep going so yeah you're gonna like when you're reminded of the event you're gonna uh experience a little bit of psychological distress <laughs> some anxiety you know maybe your heart races um you sweat those types of things um the other thing big big piece of it is avoidance so you people with ptsd they avoid thinking about the trauma they avoid talking about the trauma they avoid emotions associated with the trauma um uh as well as like situations or cues that remind them of the trauma right so like i, I was listening to your episode right um, like if you were avoiding like the forest or any like forested area, probably tough to do where you live, but you know, uh, that, that could be a type of like situational avoidance or going to the beach or, or whatever it might be. Right. Um, and then the new kind of diagnostic Bible, there's like these cognitive distortions, right? So it's basically like you think differently about yourself. You think differently about others, the world. Uh, so it's like, I can't trust people anymore. The world's a fucked up place. Like, it's just a terrible place, right? Um, I can't rely on myself, like things like that. Uh, you know, feelings of like just constant horror, or shame, that type of stuff. Now with like PTSD, so 
things that I've like, all my information is watching TV or hearing podcasts, things like that. Now, is there more kind of distinction between something, a traumatic event happens, right? Mm -hmm. And a normal response by a human hopefully is fear and anxiety of that situation days after up to obviously a few weeks after. Now, is there kind of uh, a timeline in the way of like, this is just a normal reaction because you were in a car accident yesterday, you should be nervous and mm-hmm. scared to get back in the car. And then it, is there, a, it's been six months now and you're still worried to get behind the wheel. Like, is there like a playful kind of median where to diagnose that, I guess? No, that's an excellent point. I think he's been reading more than he's telling us. But. Well, I think uh, he's <laughs> maybe living a little experience hey, here. I did I take uh, psychology my first year of university as a major. I there quickly, Man, quickly, <laughs> quickly switched that one, though. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't say, I didn't say I did well in it, but... <laughs> Uh, so if it's uh, if it occurs before a month, it's what we'd like classify as acute stress disorder. Uh, so our diagnostic like Bible is called the DSM. Uh, so it's in its fifth version right now. If it's before a month, it's classified as acute distress, acute stress disorder. Sorry. Uh, and then after a month, if you're still having those symptoms, checking all those boxes I was talking about earlier, that would be considered PTSD. So with me, what I found was odd was that um, when I went to you, there was so many incidents, right? So being a police officer for 18 years, I was on the street the whole time. And and like, it really doesn't matter because there's so many people that even work in the desks and the things that they're seeing in pictures and videos. And um, I I was like, how the hell are you going to treat this? Like, I don't even know. Like I had a list in my phone of like 40 different things that like really bothered me. Yeah, yeah. And you started with, we just kind of attacked the worst one. Yes. So can you kind of get into what the strategy or the tactic, like let's talk about what people could expect if they came to see you in terms of treatment. Cause like I'll tell you guys, it really wasn't that bad. It was shitty. The first couple times was shitty, but it really wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. So we kind of eased into it, right? Like we didn't get to like the traumatic event for what, uh, three sessions or so, something like that. Um, yeah, so the type of therapy I did with you is called prolonged exposure therapy. There, it's just one type of PTSD therapy. Um, there's two others, EMDR and uh, cognitive processing therapy. So th- that's what like uh, the U.S. use their veterans. Uh, they use for PTSD treatment. Uh, it's the one you used on me. Yes, the, one okay. of the ones, yeah. And then um, and in Canada too, so veteran affairs. Uh, they've been like studied to make sure they're you know validated to, to use on... Uh, individuals with PTSD um, but yeah so from a prolonged exposure therapy perspective like their idea is like start with the most significant trauma and then when you basically attack that or, or challenge that the rest of them aren't so anxiety provoking right because you're, you're kind of going with uh, the most important most impactful one but you're right, it seems weird because in therapy usually we do stuff gradually, right? So it's total, total opposite to what we usually do. Yeah, like you said, we eased into it, but like my entire treatment was eight weeks, perhaps? Yeah, eight, nine weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't like, it was not what and I... How, how often, like eight weeks, is that eight sessions? Is that every day? Is that... I went once a week. Once a week, yeah. Right. Um, you were, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, but you were an ideal client. Like you really did what you had to do. You weren't, uh, I know you might have felt avoidant, but you weren't that avoidant of like doing things. So uh, I think it progressed quickly. Well, 
That's good to know. <laughs> I progressed through it. So one of my fears going to you, uh, the, maybe the, the biggest holdup, and I, I feel like it's weird, but I, I've said this to you before, and I want to know if anybody, I know you can't discuss with other people, but maybe you can give me a broad answer, yeah. is that I was so worried that I was going to go there and you're going to say I didn't have PTSD. And I was going to feel like, what the fuck is wrong with me then? And that was one of my biggest holdups. I know people think the stigma and worried about what other people think. Mm-hmm. I really, I was kind of over that. Like, I, I didn't really care what other people thought at this point. Yeah. I just, I needed to fix this for me and my family and for this business so I could be a better leader to all these people. Is that a common, something common that you hear or not? Yeah, it is pretty common because like PTSD, it's not like, you know, a diagnosable like medical disorder, right? It's like people are generally coming, I'm feeling shitty. I'm a first responder, I've seen this stuff. Like, I don't know, maybe I have this, maybe it's not. And it's like, what if you don't? Then what do I do next, right? Is probably the question or yeah. was, was that, I don't know if that was the case for that you. That was but definitely yeah. going through my head, <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. yeah, so it's not uncommon and um, yeah, along with the other things, people don't want to seem like they're faking, you know, they, they don't want to be called like a, a liar or a faker, that that type of thing, right? That's yeah. a huge concern. So I guess I said I wasn't concerned with the stigma, but I was concerned with that, that like I didn't, you know, when I hurt my ankle, I busted my ankle, or when I hurt my back, or I tore a forearm grabbing somebody before, like those are all injuries you could see. And I think maybe one of the things that kept me away from getting any help while I was there was that I didn't want to be forced off the road because I didn't want to be, because I know there are, unfortunately, like the real, the, the honest to God truth is, and like this in every job, there's people who fake back injuries, there's people who fake mental health injuries, mm-hmm. and I didn't ever want to be considered one of those people. So I, that was one of my biggest fears. That was my biggest fear, probably. So if that's stigma really related, but that's gotta be, that's gotta be in other first responders and other nurses. I, when I say first responders, I really mean nurses, jail guards, I mean all those people who yeah. are dealing with like the hands-on of life and death. Yeah, especially when it's work-related, right? So if, like, you know, the treatment I, I use with you is uh, originally developed for people who are sexually assaulted, like survivors of sexual assault, um, there's not really, like, a work component to that. You know what I mean? Unless you were, unfortunately, assaulted on the job. But um, when it involves work, then that, that stigma is like, oh, are people going to think I'm a faker? Or, do I, you know, even people question themselves. Do I have this? I, um, so, yeah, a lot of the... The beginning of therapy is like, listen, you, you have this, this is why, uh, this is what's normal. These, this, these symptoms uh, map on to PTSD, right? So when, to ease people's minds that are considering getting help, and their concern is my concern that I had just uh, demonstrated, what would you recommend? Like, I know I asked you during one of our sessions that like, hey, would you have ordered me off the police service? And I think your question was, I don't think so, like or your answer was. So like, I want people to understand they can go to you and it's not going to go, like, just explain what, what happened. Yeah, so I have no dealings with your workplace, right? Even if you're under like WSIB, for example, because uh, it happened at work, uh, I communicate to WSIB, they never communicate to your employer. Um, you know, if they know you're under the traumatic stress that it's kind of up to them, they can, do certain things to ask about your ability to do your do your work, but if your medical professionals deem that you can do your job without uh, risk to others, then they they have to listen to that, right? So it's all dependent on the case. Like I I've treated people uh, who who are, who are working, right? They 
they continued doing their jobs. Uh, and then I've treated others who, who weren't able to do their jobs, unfortunately. Right, and your only obligation is if you think that they're going to be a harm to themselves or somebody else, correct? Correct, then, yeah. Then yeah, you correct. have to step in. Yeah, there's other things that are probably a little bit uh, more rare. So if you had anxiety to the point where you couldn't concentrate and you had a job where you really needed to concentrate, that could be a possible danger, those types of things. But again, that's relatively rare. Is that something you find, again, can't be too specific with things, but is that something you find where like people come in, you hear their story, and like maybe it is as simple as like they're blowing it up more than they think it's not as serious as it is, and it's like a quick few session thing, um, and then they're back at it. Like, is that something normal that people shouldn't be too concerned about, like to go in for one session and vent and get it out and then continue on? Uh, yeah, it depends on the severity. So with PTSD, it'd be tough to just see you in a session. But if you're dealing with something else, like, yeah, you can, or if you just want to check in, hey, am I doing okay? Like, I've had these symptoms. Is this normal? Like you were talking about earlier, there's some normal things that'll happen if you have like a shitty call, right? Like you, you know, go to the a call and there's like a dead baby or, you know, that's not normal stuff to see. So you're going to have a reaction. Um, and some of that's totally normal in the short term, right? So it's definitely okay to check in, you know, if you're just like, hey, am I, am I okay? Is this normal? Well, what can I look out for? How can I look after my mental health? That's totally appropriate. And I think too, for like new people coming into like the police force, like your situation is being on the police force for 20 years and seeing piles and piles of things with that. And then now like for my situation is being newer to um, like first responding and mm. fire and stuff like that. Now I'm kind of being introduced to some of these things and right. seeing some of these things, what are kind of steps to take um, right up front before things like that build up? Um, so yeah, just like doing, uh, doing things in your daily life obviously can help. So you guys are about fitness, obviously. That's a, that's a great thing to do, like maintaining a good schedule and routine, looking after your sleep, uh, making sure you have somebody you can like confide in, right? Whether it be a romantic partner, friend, um, taking some downtime to relax, uh, you know, just not keeping things in all the time. If that's talking to coworkers too, that's a good outlet. Uh, all of these things are helpful, right? And then if you wanted to reach out and establish a relationship with, you know, a psychologist, counselor, social worker, um, that's a good thing too. That way you can find out if it's a good fit for you. You know, do we, do we click? Um, if you don't, maybe you could find someone else. It's, it's no big deal. I'm not under the impression that everybody who comes into my office is gonna like, like me or we're gonna click, right? Um, at least you have that relationship so that if you do have a situation down the road uh, that necessitates you going to a psychologist or counselor, uh, you have a good relationship already, right? Okay, so one of the things for, I would say for a guy like Casey and anybody else who's young, we have a lot of young police officers who come here, you know, Kieran, yourself with fire and like so many nurses and there's been a, a handful of police officers get hired out here lately is I want to make sure that you guys don't get like me like I don't want you to feel like there's somewhere like the only way to leave is to take that damn uniform off because like we need police officers we need first responders we need firemen we need nurses we need all these people to do this job and they have to be mentally right and one of the things that came up in our discussion uh, our racism discussion actually in our talking about equality and discrimination was uh, some of the race relations that are going on in this world right now, I think are very much stemmed from police officers not getting 
rotated out, not getting, uh, they're becoming burnt out. And I think we're really lying to ourselves if we're saying that you're not, it, maybe not in Windsor because we don't have the density of populations of, uh, you know, of black people. So that maybe if you're working in a, in a neighborhood in Atlanta where, you know, your 90% population is black people and you're going to crime, you're not going to the good people. So there's a lot of good people in those 90%. I believe of the 90%, there's usually, there's like 1% of criminals. This is like what the world says, right? That 1% of all people are criminals, not just like in that race. But if you're going to only the bad people's houses, I think that's what people don't realize about cops is like, we're really only going to the bad people's houses over and over and over. So you start to associate that face, right? No matter what it is. And, and that's, that's unfortunate. And like for us in Windsor, it's not so much uh, the black face or the, the Middle Eastern face. It's just the, the face of crime or like walking into like a low uh, income neighborhood gives you that anxiety that like you feel like the fight is about to be on. And I think like we really need to start rotating some people out and spending more time. I know for me, I, one of the incidents we talked about was a murder that I walked in on. So I actually walked in on somebody being murdered. I pulled the guy off, he was raping her and had murdered her. And um, there was nothing, there was no interaction. There was the check-ons by a couple of my friends, mm -hmm. but there was no actual official, in my opinion, like if you just made it mandatory, if I was forced to just go sit in your office, whether I talk or not, at least I'm in there and maybe I will say something and maybe we will get somewhere. I don't know, what's your opinion on how we can stop people from getting to that point? Yeah, I think uh, the rotating out, like, like you said, is a great idea. You can't sustain that level of like, you know, vigilance and uh, like seeing all that stuff for, for a long time, right? It's terrible stuff like that, that first responders are seeing. That's, that's the whole point. I think when we started, I was like, listen, th this shit is not normal, right? Like, it's not normal what you're seeing. Your response to it, your brain is doing what it's supposed to do. It might feel abnormal to you, but that's the normal part, right? So I think, yeah, like, ro rotating people out is a, is a great idea. Um, I, I don't know. You know, that's hard to do, I guess. Like, politics yes. are involved and whatnot. And, yeah, and money, right? Um, I think we, you know, talking um, just... So one thing we're trained to do as psychologists is uh the one of the best things you can do for i don't know not being stereotypical or biased is to acknowledge your biases too right so you know okay yeah maybe i'm a little bit biased when i see a guy who looks a little bit disheveled or, or something right that's that's kind of inherent in policing i think uh you know it can apply to race too right like okay maybe i'm a little bit intimidated by a larger black man right i mean that's not uh it's just acknowledging things. I had uh, someone call me the other day. I thought it was, it was like a, an Indian fellow. I thought he was going to ask me if I wanted my air ducts clean because we tend to get those calls a lot here. And it was actually somebody looking to set up my uh, my bell, right? So I was automatically going to be dismissive because I heard the voice. And that That's not right, you know? It's just acknowledging some of these biases you might have. And by acknowledging them, then you get to work on them and, and be aware of them, right? Yeah. That's, we should have had him in last week oh, with that, this whole thing. That was a great talk. That with and Marie, but yeah, that and like I know we talk about all the time is like decompressing, and decompressing doesn't have to be with a psychologist per se, but it could be with your partner. Like one thing I know I've been lucky enough in some of the situations we've been with uh, our fire department is you go to a somewhat traumatic event, right? Mm -hmm. Things that 
not the everyday person sees. Right, exactly. And before you even leave the scene, one of the captains brings you aside and, you know, you shoot the shit and you talk and he kind of gets your, sees your, feels you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Then before you leave again, one of the other, you know, more senior officers are talking to you. And even things, little things like that, that even in the time, you know, like, maybe I'm fine. It was, it was this. I don't have much to say about it. But just having that kind of there and having the availability to call somebody and having those numbers in your phone or right. being able to just talk about that stuff or even in the police department, if you get back in your squad car and you're with a senior officer or even a junior guy and just take that, you know, quick conversation and be like, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And move forward. At least now you've acknowledged it and it's, it's not burying itself into your, into your brain. Yeah. So like... You know, I'm gonna make this nerdy, but from a psychological perspective, right? You're getting this. Why so you're here, Sean? Yeah, yeah. Make it nerdy, Doctor Sean. <laughs> Go nerd out on us. So three <laughs> nerds at a table. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting the social support, right? From from like the captain or the senior officer, right? And then w what else is he or she doing? Like, uh, they're normalizing that, like, hey, this is fucked up, right? By coming to talk to you and seeing if you're okay and feeling you out. Whereas before, maybe the old days, it'd just be like whatever you wouldn't talk about it or be like suck it up and then you'd be left thinking like am, am i the fucked up one here like i this isn't normal i didn't sleep last night i was thinking about this right yeah i think that's that is kind of a funny thing with the normalizing it and like how sean put it i remember so for you guys listening like that that little description i gave to you is about uh two seconds of the whole story and honestly not even the one that bothered me nearly the most that like, there are many many that keep going and we could go on that all day. But I remember describing a couple of these incidents to Sean and he looks at me and he goes, now does any of that seem normal to you? <laughs> and you're like, the only thing normal about this is that you are fucked up. Of course you're fucked up. Listen to what you just told me. And you know, and, and you presented it to me and I was very like surprised that one of the ways that you treated this was you gave me, we had an app on my phone and I had to record myself every time and then my job over the next week was to listen to this thing as many times as possible. And, you know, and then I would come back in and we would talk about the same thing again. Yeah. And then I would listen to it again all week. Um, that was the oddest way of dealing with it, in my opinion, but clearly effective. I, I'm not sure. Could you explain how that even are works or what are the you, strategy are is? Are you recording the like bad situation? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? So like you would record like the event and then now you're listening to it over and over again? Yeah, he would pop me a question and uh, I, he, and his question like typical, that's one thing that you, just like TV, he's like, tell me what you're thinking. Right? <laughs> and then you know, he'd be a little bit more specific and then I'd go on and on and then he'd throw little fillers in or what did, how did that make you feel? What did this do? Yeah. And like then I, so it'd be recorded um, on voice record. And then I would just listen to it in my headphones when I had some quiet time to myself over the course of the next week. And then we'd do it again over and over. Yeah. So the, the like principle behind that is uh, the avoidance, right? So if you, the more you avoid, uh, like the more it perpetuates the PTSD symptoms, right? And the, the idea behind that is like those intrusive symptoms where you're having nightmares or you're having thoughts about it, they're not gonna go away because you haven't processed it from an emotional standpoint. So that's what I had you do is like repeat, uh, repeat the story. And each time, like it's, you're supposed to have less anxiety. It's basic psychological principle, right? So it's like, um, if you're fearful of something, you imagine like a, a hill, right? So if you avoid it, you drop down and, and you go back to the start of that hill you're always gonna feel the most anxiety. 
that, that you feel right at the top of that hill. Uh, but then if you start going through it a bit, so you start talking, right, you get over the hump of the hill, and then the next time you do it, that hill gets a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, right? Uh, so the principle behind that is habituation. Basically, um, you don't have as uh, severe or significant a, as a, of anxiety or an emotional response. So like, uh, listen again, listening to your episode, you had like free therapy basically. Yeah, definitely. You, yeah, you went in with the, the wolves, right? You started off as, this is more gradual. This is what we usually do in psychology. You started off with like, you know, like the, the pups or whatever, right? And you kind of, kind of graduated. Maybe you were just looking at them first, then you're in the pen with them, those types of things, right? Yeah, and that's exactly like what you're describing is what we did, but just in, in a day kind of situation <laughs> yeah. where it was like the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the zoo and we're gonna go see elephants and giraffes and then, oh look, there's a cage of wolves. And then it's like, okay, let's go a little bit closer. And then, okay, I have this wolf on a leash now, come inside the cage. And then it's like walk to it and then it's, petted and then by the end of the day wolf's off the leash i'm running around with it right so it's just like yeah it's yeah. gradual but once you hit that peak and then now like for me for that instance was now being around that i wouldn't say it cured me of fear of wolves because no. i'm not going to see one in the in the wild and go up to it mm -hmm. but the big thing with that was correlating that to dogs and then now yeah. when i see you know a house a dog in a house or in a backyard mm -hmm. i'm not hesitant to go up to it and approach it and if it comes at me in a quick state i'm not first instinct to just sprint away yeah and if you hadn't done that though you wouldn't get that incompatible information that like hey dogs aren't so dangerous maybe wolves aren't as dangerous as i think in captivity um right <laughs> don't go up to them still yeah yeah don't, don't nobody don't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah and that was the other piece of the treatment too right it was uh I had you do some things like uh, identify some situations that were anxiety provoking, and we did that in a more gradual fashion, right? Like, yeah, so go ahead and talk about that. Like, you got full carte blanche to talk about my situation if it's gonna help some other people, so you're not violating anything. Yeah, well, we don't have to get into specifics, but the other part of the treatment is um, basically doing those things, those situations you avoid because they're anxiety provoking. So if that was, you know, going to a certain area of town, um, being around like, you know, a certain type of person or, uh, you know, anything that basically caused you anxiety as a result or reminded you of the incident. Yeah. So for me, if you, for you guys and girls listening, if you want to like kind of, maybe you can relate some of this if I got more into my symptoms. So for me, symptoms, uh, avoidance was a huge one. I thought that was the way I was curing it. I actually even wrote an article about it, it got published in uh, the Jim Jones stuff was about how avoiding triggers was really helping me and it did for a very long time it really helped me avoiding triggers which were like watching movies man movies used to mess me up and tv shows still do i don't watch too many of them i wanted to waste my time but i you know that was one of your recipes like go watch tv like, go watch go watch cops <laughs> so yeah but yeah, watching yeah. shows like cops or like the shield or i remember like watching a, a movie on an airplane and a cop was murdered and i remember just being right back at the scene at atkinson and i'm on my way to vegas and i'm crying in a freaking airplane and I didn't have flashbacks too often. They weren't really a problem for me. It was, for me, the one, I remember once I'm waking up in the middle of the night, my son was screaming and I had had way too much to drink that night and I sprinted into his room and I remember like, I was grabbing him and I was searching his little body for stab holes. And Danny came in and I remember just being like absolutely freaked out and she's grabbing my shoulder and she's like, it's not, it's not, you're fine, he's fine. And I just like, I remember that was one of the most like, 
vivid uh, memories I'll ever have of kind of the terrors and things that I went through. But usually for me, for some reason, it was like more so like the day after a real, real high, like the cruising bruise. Or like, I remember talking a lady off a ledge. It took like nine hours. She was up on a 24th balcony and I end up after nine hours jumping out, uh, smoking her arm off the railing and ripping her back into safety as like my friends and my partners jumped on me with their ropes. I was on the patrol and the tag team was actually there to back me up, pulled me in as I pull in this girl. And I remember that being one of the hardest nights of my life. How is, what is with that? Is it the adrenaline dump after that puts you back in a bad spot? Yeah, probably, right? You're going back to that like rest and digest, like that homeostasis, right? From the fight and flight. So you have more time to like think and contemplate things. When you're in that fight or flight, you're not, you're not thinking a lot, right? In fact, those things shut down. Like it's, it's basically like run or, run or fight, right? Uh, so all those unnecessary functions in your body are just gonna shut down, including your cognition. Afterwards, you're tired. You probably don't have as many resources to deal. You know, things pop up easier when you're tired, right? Or you're, you're exhausted. Uh, so that's probably what's happening. Oh. Okay, so before we move away from the PTSD and take a little break, um, just at what point should a nurse who's listening or a fireman, anybody who's listening, if they're talking about this PTSD and something they've been through that's bothering them, at what point should they be seeking professional help? And maybe what steps should they take first and then? Yeah, I think if you're concerned about it or your family members are concerned, uh, you see changes in your behavior. So if you're not sleeping, you're irritable all the time. I mean, that that's just one thing, right? In combination with thinking about uh, whatever the event was all the time, then yeah, you should probably reach out. Um, a good first step. Uh, you know, if the incident occurred relatively recently, give it some time. Some of that stuff's normal. If you find it doesn't go away, definitely reach out. Um, you know, you can, uh, lots of workplaces have EAP or peer support. You can go that route or you can uh, just, you know, look up people in the community, do a quick Google search. Uh, if you're looking for a psychologist, uh, the College of Psychologists Ontario, if you go to their website, you could just like plug in uh, your city and they'll give you a list of the psychologists and their, their specialties. So specialties won't give you too much. It won't say like, oh, they specialize in PTSD. It'll say like child, adult, rehabilitation, psychology, but uh, safe bet, like, you know, someone who deals with uh, adults, uh, they might be able to treat you for, for PTSD or, or whatever's going on. At one point, I think like, one thing I know our main focus today is on you know, um, more direct situations with like first responders, military that seem very heightened in the experiences. Mm -hmm. But now like one thing, like I know a lot of people aren't in those situations and they're just everyday, kind of everyday people who might get into a high stress situation that maybe may be an everyday thing for a cop or a fireman, but aren't for, again, your average day person. So they get in a car accident or they see something traumatic, like, is it the same kind of steps that you want to take? Yeah, it would be the it'd be the same steps, right? Um, this this is applicable to anybody, right? Uh, we're talking a lot about first responders because of experience, uh, like your experience, and also because they're exposed to trauma at a higher rate. But uh, this can apply to anybody. So one of the symptoms we didn't uh, really hit on, I don't think, was a disconnect. The disconnect for me was probably the biggest one. I would find myself. 
one of the triggers for me was being at a party and somebody would want to talk about police stuff. And like I tell a lot of funny police stories still to this day. I love those stories. But people always want, what's the worst thing you've ever seen, man? Like that is like the most common question for okay. any cop. I definitely asked you when the like, first time and, we And on. you're like, and I remember when people would ask me that question, you like the first one that flashes in your head, I'm thinking of it now, you know. And I'm not even going to get into the details. It's no, not even worth traumatizing anybody listening about this. But then I'd be like, okay, what's the next one down? What's the next one down? What's the next one? And then you're like, and then when somebody would really press, you're like, ah, you know, and you're like, do you really want to fucking hear about this? Do you want to hear about that little, little child with, you know, multiple stab holes? Is that what you like? And you would become so angry. Like, and then you would, I'd also associate it with like, you know, you want to hear about this, but you're too scared to like, you know, spend, and that's where police officers really get defensive over when you hear people talking about crime or like that police officers are too heavy handed. It's like, you really don't know what's going on out there in the world. And that's where like, it really would fester and the politics would fester the things that would happen at work where the bosses are telling you, don't do this and don't do that. And I think that's where cops really get, I know what happens in the nurses. I know what happens to firemen mm -hmm. probably even happens to teachers, right? It's just like, you're always together and we hang out together and you really need to break away and make sure that you are decompressing on your own with loved ones and people that aren't police officers or at least people that you can speak to. When I say police officers, I mean firemen, everybody, like if you're in that, that, that window, you need to step away and speak to them. If you can speak to them as non-cops, then you can continue that relationship to decompress. But a lot of cops, and I'm sure this goes for everything in the first responders, they just go together. They go together, they travel in packs together, they work shift work, their friends aren't available, they're, they're friends that they had outside of the job and you just become always in fight and flight. That's like we tell people in the gym, like get out of fight or flight. If you're always training hard, you're never on the rest and digest and you're not gonna grow and get stronger. And I think that's a lot what goes on with us as first responders. Yeah, like anecdotally, I think, uh like clients that I know they have friends outside of like their profession, like that's a good sign for me, right? Because they're not always talking work and talking all these these incidents. It's a it's a good thing. And you're not always in the fight or flight mode. And so what are tactics? So I know I'll bring up the example, like one of the first times we had met, we were hanging out ex exactly what you just described. We're hanging out. It's like 2 a.m. at this point. It's like we're just sitting there shooting the shit. And I definitely asked the question, what's like the craziest thing you saw? And one thing that I always remembered from this is you like quickly were just like, I'll tell you like the funniest thing on the job. And you flipped it to that and then as soon as that happened, I realized like, oh shit, dumb question. But that I thought was like, obviously something you had worked on, but it just seemed like a great tactic up front right away just to like, in order not to go down this rabbit hole of thought, it's just like, oh, let me tell you this funny story. And then by the time you're done that funny story, hopefully you weren't mad at me for asking that question. but. <laughs> I just thought that was a good response to it. Like, what are other tactics people can do who don't have as much counseling, I guess, and things like, if you're trying to avoid that trigger, what are some quick on-hand things that they can do? Um, yeah, so just, uh, I'm gonna defend you a little bit. You're probably trying to connect and convey some respect, right? So I understand. Trying like, to land a job. Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. <laughs> so everybody listening, I know like, <laughs> so many people have asked me that question. Don't think I was mad at you. Like, absolutely not. It just, for me, and I know I, I can speak for, I, I think you've treated so many people like that. It's just something huge that would set me off on a tone. A lot of times I'd be able to respond in that good manner and I'd be able to switch it and it wouldn't mess my night up. Yeah. But nights, like, maybe if I was drinking whiskey instead of beer, 
it would it would tank fast. And I know that when Danny would hear that question be posed to me, I could see her eyes because I know that she meant she knew that it was going to be a long night for us. Yeah. And so, what do you think there? Let's go ahead. I had to apologize to people who might have got offended there. No. Uh, thanks. Um, so Tony, you're right. Like every, pretty much every first responder has had like PTSD issues. Uh, that I that I've treated, they say the same thing. They get that question all the time, right? And it bothers them. Some people have gone off, right? They're like, "Oh, what do you want to talk about first? You, you know what I mean? And they start like listing things, um, like understandably. Uh, but uh, I think a perfect way to deal with it is to give them a funny story, because that's what they're trying to connect and they're trying to convey respect or appreciation. So tell them a funny story. It's not going to be bad. You know, they'll, they'll enjoy that. Um, you could also just say, yeah, you don't want to hear that, right? Like, and just leave it at that or turn it back on them. You know, just talk, talk about them. People love talking about themselves, right? So those might be a few little strategies in the moment to, to deal with that. Yeah, it seems as a first responders, people just always want to talk about your job. Like, I know I remember hang, like even hanging out with Luke Wilson who plays in the NFL or my old, my my old teammate Brett Romer playing in the NFL, like going and sitting at tables with these guys who played football. And all I want to hear is about cool stories about like their games. And they want to talk about police shit. And you're like, oh my God, even you guys? Like, this is like, it's not that cool. I promise you, it's not that cool. <laughs> but yeah, telling the funny story was always a good way to get out of it and uh, switching up the, the dialect. But uh, it was always the guy that was like, already made five different comments about the police being shitty that then he would <laughs> ask you that, that question after I had a bunch of drinks and it was like the old me wanted to smash his head off the table but the new me would breathe and take my exercises and get out so you've helped me with that I never took action on the smashing the head off the table but I remember leaving many parties because Danny was worried that was what was gonna happen like taking you by the arm <laughs> yeah yeah she'd, yeah she'd grab me I'd feel the grab by the bicep and uh She's got a firm grip, and then we, we'd be out of that party real quick. So let's take a second here. Uh, we want to recognize Axel Films who's making this production here on YouTube today. Axel is a video production company. Uh, yeah, fill up your drinks, boys. Now, providing creative strategies and powerful video marketing campaigns for brands. They provide creative video services, small and large companies alike. They've worked with us and brands just like the Garage GM as Casey pops a beer. Uh, so if any of you brewers want to get in with these guys, they'd be great. They've worked as high up as the Toronto Raptors. Uh, if you're motivated a business owner and you're looking to launch a new product, Axel has the experience, the know-how to bring attention to your brand through creative video marketing. With Axel Films, they will focus on your goals and use their creative storytelling to introduce you, your brand to the world. So if you're interested, visit axelfilms.com to learn more and tell them that Tangle One sent you. After years, especially after being there for years, or they're so disconnected because that's what I would find. I'd go into these houses and there'd be this crazy shit going on and it wouldn't even rattle me at all because I'd be so disconnected from the situation where one, it could get somebody hurt. But it also, that's what also leads into the, you know, the situations like Floyd, like that's obviously very extreme, but that's where a lot of these, I think more minor ones other than Floyd are stemming is from that disconnect that from police officers who've lost their heart. Like, it's like you're so calloused over. What do you think the police services can do, uh, fire services? Nurses, I think, get ignored a lot too. With They fucking see a lot of death those they ladies, do. man. Yeah, they do. So um, what can we do to, to, to stop people from getting there? 
It's a big loaded question. Yeah. Should that wow. one at a time. Uh, need another beer, I think. Uh, there you go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think some of the stuff we talked about earlier, right? Like, uh, it's okay to take a. It's okay to like take a break from whatever like unit you're in or division and do something else. I think that's a great idea. Uh, it gives you a chance to step back. Um, just making sure you're taking care of yourself. If, if you're walking around like a, you know, a ticking time bomb, like obviously you, you want to reach out and get some help for that. Uh, talk to somebody. Say I've been having a hard time. Doesn't have to be a psychologist. Anybody. Um, anything you're dealing with, right? It just it doesn't just have to be PTSD. Other things you're dealing with, relationship issues, anxiety, that can all affect your, you know, your your mood or your outlook on things. You're going to take out your anger on a, on a situation, right? Because it's harder to, to regulate yourself in general if you're anxious or you have some chronic pain or, or whatever it might be. So that's where I want to go next, really, is like, let's get away from the first responders. Let's talk about, you know, the average uh, mom who comes to this gym, the average uh, man who comes to this gym. And what are some of the mental health issues that the, the most common ones that they may be facing? Um, I would assume depression, anxiety, things like that. And what can they do? Which when should they be concerned, alarmed? Let's let's just get into that stuff. Yeah. So depression's uh, common. Like even more common is anxiety. Uh, like we talk about cancer and stuff, right? It's super common. Everybody knows somebody affected by cancer. Like you couldn't, you know, throw a stone and not hit somebody with anxiety or, or depression, right? Um, so if it's becoming a problem, it's, if it's disrupting your life or your uh, people in your family notice it's disruptive to you, then I would say it's a problem if it's. What would you define as disruptive? Disrupt. So if you're if you're not sleeping, if you're angry and irritable all the time, if uh, you can't concentrate, if you can't get out of bed, if you're avoiding things because you're anxious, so you had social anxiety, you're like I'm not going to any social uh, functions, right? If you're having panic attacks and you're like I'm not leaving the house or I'm not going to the grocery store by myself. Um, if you're worrying all the time, right? Generalized anxiety disorder. If you're just worrying all the time about everything and you feel a lot of tension, you're feeling keyed up all the time, those are those are things you're, you're gonna wanna look in on. Does that go back to where you're kinda like, if you're concerned or thinking that you might wanna get help, like there's obviously anonymous ways to go about getting help? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're thinking you might, something might not be right, it's probably not right. right. You know, like you don't just come <laughs> to that, that that conclusion from nowhere because there is a lot of gray area though right with like anxiety like it is it's natural instinct too if you have something important coming up to be anxious or stressed about or for sure if you hit a low point or something bad happens i think depression is obviously it's a natural thing but it's when what you're saying is when it starts to when you think it's starting to push past those areas where like you know this happened however long ago and now I keep reliving it, I keep going through it, or why am I getting anxious just because I have to do something at 4 p.m. and it's 10 a.m. right now? Like, Yeah. Those are those, is those, the, those are the cues kind of you're looking for? Yeah, exactly. Like depression, if it's like occurring for more than two weeks, usually that's when we start to get concerned, right? So if your mood's low and you've lost interest in things and you have no motivation, your sleep's messed up, maybe your appetite's affected those, those types of things if that's happened consistently most days for two weeks uh that's probably an issue uh the other thing is like you can go and seek help and 
if I think you're doing okay and I don't think it's like a huge issue, I can normalize it for you. Hey, I think this is this is normal. Obviously, I'm not going to discount your experience, and I'll you know I'll help you along, maybe give you some guidance. But if I don't think you need to see me, I'm not going to be you know. Uh, take your money and your time like that's not that's not what it's about right i would think a lot of people would right because like most people hopefully in that situation want to be in it for the right reasons they they don't want to not they don't want to spend their time treating someone who's not necessarily in need of it but not not that in need maybe that sounds bad the way it's going but like able to confront them and say hey normalize it or let's work through it this way and then continue on and they yeah. want to that might be all you need is like what you're going through it's a normal reaction seriously though like it's powerful i think that's why like group therapy is powerful you sit in a group and you're like oh fuck that guy thought that too or that guy's feeling that too or a or, or girl or whatever woman like that's that's a powerful thing yeah that's what i found about joining some of these uh mastermind type groups and now running my own was that power of that group that it's just like oh really like you feel that too or like sitting around a table there is positive of hanging out with other cops is you're like you know and, and since guys have heard me speak out about it the amount of phone calls i've got are crazy and texts and feelers too like feelers like hey and i remember sending a feeler to your dad like you know like hey <laughs> you know what's this thing that's going on and and it is true that walking in and, and you saying like hey man like of course you're messed up listen to what you just said was huge for me and I remember a funny story from this it's like so PTSD you actually like do this like thing and he like makes a grade for you and he's like whatever that number was like he's like oh you need to hit like 33 on this chart oh yeah yeah and he's like but you're like a 50 you're you got it full blown <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been accepted to my I'm process. like advanced student I'm like yeah <laughs> like, all right, I'm, all, accomplishment, I'm all in I'm really you messed that? up you got so. the tattoo there Tony yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get on this arm my kids want me to get tattoos on this arm when I get that it was Sean's best student <laughs> so yeah back on the uh, with the 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 common ones so depression anxiety so now let's go maybe you can help us as coaches here at the garage gym or as parents or as spouses we get anxiety is a big issue in here like and i'm gonna say like anxiety with the fyf though will never change yeah like anxiety in terms <laughs> of Friday, like right? when you tell people like hey we're doing a 2000 meter row in front of everybody or the garage gym games where you're gonna test in front of everybody mm -hmm. it, it's you the reason it. that a lot of people don't even participate is because they're so anxious to perform and like really nobody gives a fuck what you get what you deadlift people just want to cheer you on and hope you do your best like that is the most people that's all they want for you is to ever do your best how can we coach people through those situations i'm just thinking we need a channel uh from the special athletes right they're just gung ho yes. to like get up yes. there and do it right yeah yeah the events we've run and they go and lift and they're the star of the show and it's just like yeah, no nerves. You can't I don't know if you know, Sean uh, is one of the coaches. Was he, were you at our uh, yeah. Yeah. events? Yeah. Okay, he just looked familiar this whole time. <laughs> I knew I've seen yeah, no, like, I know I've met him. <laughs> Not uh, in this setting, though. He didn't have a collared shirt on. That's right. No. It, I didn't get the memo. Long. You guys have no collars. So casual. It's a casual You're the podcast. doctor. We didn't want to show you up. But anyways, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into that. So the special athletes, they, you know, they really didn't seem to feel any anxiety like those guys man they got up there yeah. to perform they're like lebron so there's things you could do uh like 
you know, there's a type of therapy, cognitive behavior therapy. It basically targets how you think because how you think influences how you feel, right? If you're like, oh, this is fucking scary, like everybody's going to be watching me, everybody cares, then you're going to be more anxious, right? Uh, so it's like targeting maybe some of those thoughts that just because you think them doesn't mean they're true. Uh, and the other part is just doing, right? So like we talked about before, it sucks, it's uncomfortable, but you, you have to do it to to decrease that anxiety. If you don't do it, you're just going to have that same level of anxiety you have, you're, you've always had. Um, but as we talked about before, you could do that gradually. So maybe you sign up for just like a gym event, like a, a, an event here at the garage gym. And then maybe next time it's like, you know, maybe just a few gyms get together and do something. And then you're at the, you know, WFCU in front of everybody rowing, right? So a gradual progression. And it's, I think it's like fear and anxiety. Like it's just how you measure it. It's like for like our experience, like we've played sports and we've played in front of thousands of people and we've, you've gotten done speeches in front of thousands of people. If you're in front of a hundred thousand people next week, you're going to be fearful of it, right? Yes. To an extent. So maybe for you deadlifting in front of 20 people, is that anxiety and it's the same fear but it's just at a different level so it's like it's not it's normal to feel those things and i think some people because in their mind they think the stage is so little that they don't want to recognize it when it's just like your stage just hasn't been extended yet so it's like when you see you know if you were to lift in front of three people today now in five weeks from now you can lift in front of 10 and then in a year from now 500 and it just keeps growing but like that fear exists in everybody when we teach classes and there's 40 people in there you feel it a little bit yeah right but until now i've taught three classes in front of 40 people now i've calmed down yeah right so it's just measurable and yeah it's all relative right to the to the person everybody's different and uh like just speaking about anxiety and performance it's a good thing right you want to be you don't want to be overwhelmed with anxiety over here you don't want to be like not anxious at all you want to be in that sweet spot right and there's been lots of studies uh that have showed this um, yeah stress is good for the for us right like a, a yeah. certain amount of stress is good for us and i feel like one of the strat one of the things you said is something we do do in here we just didn't know the word i mean normalizing it like hey i know Susie, you don't want to get up there in front of all these people, but like understand that everybody else felt the same way you do. And including me, right? Mm -hmm. Including me going up to the deadlifting competition in Indiana. Like I couldn't sleep. I was up. I, you know, I, I was, I was in the bathroom. Like, you know, like I mm -hmm. we're nervous. You're also nervous. And I really tried to do that with my kids is like, I don't want them to like be afraid of being afraid. Like understand that like, yeah, you're fearful. Like it's okay to be fearful and, and to be anxious to do something. If you're not, then then you don't you need to. Yeah, those are the people that. I worry those about. Is the ones that aren't scared. Like you know, yeah. you're not scared to jump off that building. You should be fucking scared. You know, but yeah. doing it is courage. And trying to relate that again to the moms in here is like you know that are coming to deadlift or participate in the garage games. We try to tell them, listen, you're gonna ask your child to do something just like this. You're gonna ask them to go to the free throw line or to you know, do gymnastics in front of the, you're gonna ask them to do something, to do a speech in front of their class, and you're not willing to do it yourself, you know, like some of that sometimes relates and gets that little push out of people that needs them to, to walk forward in the face of fear, which is courage, right? Yeah, exactly, it's not an absence of fear, right? It's like doing stuff in spite of the fear. And uh, 
you want to leverage that anxiety. There, so there's a pretty famous study. It was uh, people who were afraid of public speaking. I was a little bit nervous coming in here today. I'll I was going to say, if, if we want to bring this full circle, it's like, Dr. Harrington, were you nervous before we started Hell yeah. today? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I didn't run out the door, right? No. And I you... thought about it. It's a little hot in here. but <laughs> It is warm in here. It is warm in here today. Uh, but you want to use that anxiety, right? So there's a study, people who are fearful of public speaking. They uh, like randomize them, so half, they just let them do the speech as usual. The other half, they told them that like anxiety would help them perform. Uh, who do you think like did a better job on the speech and were, were less anxious? People were told. Yeah, the people were told ahead of time, this will, this will help you perform. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's true, like, it, you, you guys First go year, to a so fire, pressure, man. Pressure, bring, pressure builds diamonds, right? And it's to an extent. Right. But I definitely think, like, it, it is good to have that stress and like you go to a fire and or me going to a raid back in the day or a hot call things are and looking at the, the junior officer next to me and saying like hey you nervous you good what are you feeling and they they say oh no i'm not nervous like well i am <laughs> yeah you know you scared well i am like it, it's it's normal man like accept it feel it accept it and move forward because i'll tell you i did 10 i don't know how many freaking thousands of calls you know, over 2,000 drug warrants, I was anxious every single time, every single time. And like, you should be, it's, you need to move forward, educated steps forward and, and move ahead against those uh, anxieties. And, and it's a good thing. And it, it helps too, right? Like your body naturally, when your body's stressed and anxious, it naturally zones into what you're going on. Exactly. Right? If, if I'm getting this correct, like it does, you know, start to zone in on something. If there's something fearful in the area, you're going to kind of go a little blind in your peripherals to focus on this object and that's not a bad thing because again we talk about that deadlift in indiana and you go up there and there's you know it's not just numbers wise but you're surrounded by all these like power lifters and people and it's like as soon as you get up there though it amps you up you're that you know, adrenaline that, that fight adrenaline or flight, goes like. and that helps you with the situation yeah. your body takes over as it's supposed to, and hopefully the natural instinct and training wise will help Kick you in. with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, what's your thoughts on like feeding anxiety? So one of the things I always say in here is uh, we're not here to feed your insecurities. And I, I try to bring that home with my kids. You know, when we walk in and you're scared of a dog, my youngest son scared, I don't know why, no idea why, scared of dogs. But I'm not there to feed his anxiety. I'm not there to say like, it's okay, stay behind me. But and I think that's what we're trying to do in here to people like, and I, I see it with children so much is like parents make excuses for their child's behavior or like almost like try to tell them like, it's okay, like stay away from this. Like instead of like, what's a strategy you can use for kids and anxiety or like to, to get them past it? I think uh, like modeling is a good one, right? So if you're you're going and you're approaching the dog and you don't look afraid, that's a great one, right? Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, just maybe even asking them, like, what do you, what do you, like, in a nice way, not in a, you know, patronizing way. What uh, what scares you about the dog, right? And just because maybe why they're scared of dogs isn't what we're thinking, right? Uh, so getting to that and just again that that gradual approach so maybe you're outside a fence looking at the dog right and then next time 
you know, they're petting a dog or a smaller dog or, or whatever, right? It's just kind of exposing them to that, that situation. And something as simple as, like, we'll stick to this dog situation is, like, if you were to just, instead of be like, oh, it's fine, you're fine, take the, the minute to, like, go down on a knee, bring the dog over to you, give your kid that introduction. Now, instead of, like, you know, one, just defending them from it and not letting them face it, now they see kind of now you're at their level and now they kind of see this like lighter situation of it that could always, i think would help yeah, you paid attention in first year so yes you did uh, and i think that it's like so avoidance is kind of feeding that anxiety but also i tell you a strategy that doesn't work grabbing them by the hand and just pulling them into that is yeah. also fuels that anxiety right and yeah. then takes away trust from you yeah. so there's a fine line like don't Hey, it's okay to be like it is okay to be scared. That's mm-hmm. that's one thing. It is okay to be scared, but it's not okay to just not go forward here. Like we can do this together. I used to be scared of dogs, making those relations. Like I think that's where, from coaching people in here to you know, talking to kids to mm-hmm. you know even relating to the guys that I'm coaching right now. I was like, yeah, guys, man, the first time I fired somebody, I fucking was. You know, and I still, to this day, if I have to fire somebody, I'm like, don't worry, Case, you're safe. <laughs> like, Stop it, making it, eye like, contact when you say that. It gnaws at me. <laughs> For it, now. It's like, it's, I, I get more anxious over that or even like getting somebody into a room and to, to talk to one of my employees about doing something that I maybe didn't like what they did. It's just like, you need to just kind of move forward with it, except, you know, uh, Dave Hawes was in here a month ago and he says, you know, feel the feeling. You know, accept the feeling, feel it, and run, let it run its course and move forward. And be curious with it. Like, why why am I so stressed about this situation? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not dangerous, right? And that's easier said than done sometimes. And maybe the maybe this situation isn't, isn't right for you to tackle that that day. But uh, just keep, keep that in mind and keep moving forward. Uh, as you said with the kids, though, yeah, you want to totally validate how they feel. You don't want to dismiss it. And then, yeah, but let's let's work on it, right? Let's let's Could tackle be something this. easy. Maybe kid just saw the dog lick its butt and doesn't want to go near it. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. But if you don't ask, this is what happens. You get bringing. If you don't ask, they think, they think that right. You might think that they're afraid of dogs, but maybe they're just grossed out. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to lick my face. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> All right, a few things to close it out. So I, there's a saying, somebody, uh, I think Danny posted it a little while ago. I loved it because I was the prime example of this. Is just because you're, you're carrying it well doesn't mean it's not heavy. You know, and I think I was the prime example of that. And I feel like people need to, like, just because your friend's smiling through it doesn't mean you should check in. You shouldn't check in all the time. And can you speak to that at all? Um, yeah, I think... That should be a normal part of relationships. We don't do it, though, right? Just checking in on people, seeing how they're doing. It's totally true. Everybody puts on a mask, right, in public because they don't want to appear, uh, you know, crazy or, or whatever. They don't want to burden other people. Um, I think the best way to, to approach that, though, like you have to be a bit vulnerable, too. So you have to open up and share maybe some of your struggles with your friends. Obviously, like you know people you know not not just the random guy you meet on the street or something um you got to set that relationship up where hey i share uh, stuff that i've struggled with or i'm struggling with i'm a human being um is everything okay with you and you can't totally control what the response is but by by setting that precedent like i'm gonna i'm gonna share my struggles with you hopefully they'll open up 
and reach out to your friends like it doesn't i think one big thing too is like it doesn't have to be your spouse it doesn't have to be your best friend like there may be someone who you know who you know you communicate with on a weekly basis that is just under the same kind of attitude as you with things is just send them that call one day or message and then see that might be the person that again you don't hang out with every day but that's the person that you vent to that's the person they vent to and then you can kind of leave you know your close friends out of it like sometimes you don't want your girlfriend or wife or knowing all your shit no, so having yeah. those like i know i have close friends who aren't first responders but those are the guys that i go to talk to just because you know they listen they hear me out right and whether they can relate or not they give me the time to talk about my stuff and then it's done with they talk to me about their stuff and those are the those are the friends i have and super grateful for that and then it doesn't have to affect your daily life and then it's off your chest no it's true and sometimes it involves like the person like you know uh your romantic partner or what you, obviously you're not going to talk to them about that you can talk to your friends uh, that you trust right so no absolutely it doesn't have to be that everyday person um, as long as you get to, to, to say what you need to say I mean it's speaking from experience I can say like you are my doctor but I think like we've progressed to be more friends and maybe that's maybe that's the relationship you go for as your thing or maybe it's just how it happened with our relationship between me and your dad but you sent me a text uh, the day of Atkinson's murder this year. So the anniversary of Atkinson's murder. John Atkinson was murdered in the line of duty many years ago. He was a friend of mine. And you sent me a message saying like, hey, man, I know this is a hard day for you. I hope you're doing okay. And on that day, like this year, I, I probably, I mean, you've only been around here for two of these maybe. But like I think I handled it this year better than most and probably because of the help I got from you. But um, that message also opened it up for two weeks later when I had a real bad day. And I messaged you, right? Yeah. So like, if I reached out to Casey today and I do this to the staff and said like, hey man, you didn't seem, you know, yourself today, everything okay? He's like, oh yeah, me and Brooke were just arguing or yeah, everything's good or, you know, just uh, didn't sleep enough last night. But now maybe in three weeks and he might send me a message because he knows that I'm actually caring, I'm paying attention. So I think the check-in that you send to your friends and I can tell you from firsthand experience, from you doing it, from others doing it, and I know you've done it for me before with some stuff I've gone through, is that, man, it's not maybe for that moment. Like, you're also setting it up for discussion, Create maybe further bridge. down the road, when you don't know that person's in pain. Because some people, like me, wore it with a smile, and you wouldn't know, right? unless you, you know, you ask, and unless they share, right? So mm -hmm. you're opening up that sharing discussion. So please check in on your friends as much as possible. And uh, last thing, so stigma like let's just how can we break that some people say it's like going to you is the same as going to a dentist you know like right. you should do it all the time your thoughts there can i just hit on one thing yeah, okay course. okay yeah, that's what you're uh, here man so you were just saying like sorry i lost my train of thought here you were just saying like uh reaching out to people oh that's what i want to say if you think your friend's going through something don't be afraid to like talk to them and bring it up right say hey is everything okay because chances are if you're feeling that then uh they're probably going through something right same with like suicide people are afraid like oh if i bring up suicide the person's gonna think about it maybe they'll do it it's like if it's to the point where you're thinking maybe your friend's thinking about suicide they're probably thinking about suicide so you should reach out and tell them right and, and ask them ask if everything's okay and i think yeah the point you made it might not be 
Like, you might text your friend and be like, who seems like they have things going on, and be like, hey, is everything good? And they might give you, a, oh, yeah, everything's fine. But that, in its own, might be enough for them to be like, okay, someone's looking out for me. And then maybe a week down the line, when things hit another point, they're like, oh, shit, Tony's talking to me right now. You know what? I'm going to give him a call. It, it just creates that kind of door. It opens the door for somebody to communicate with. And that, a lot of times, again, not just from what I see in here is like that little communication and that conversation can make such a big difference in, in people's day. And then it, you don't fester with it. And then it just overall can really change. Yeah. You don't feel alone, something. right? You're like, Oh, somebody else cares about me or I, I can share this with this person. Right. Yeah. Somebody gets me, man. Yeah. Somebody gets me or even if they don't, they're, they're willing to listen to me. And, and again, like a little bit outside of your like inner circle, I think really helps like some, some outside perspective on from somebody who you don't you know do I feel pressure to always be the leader of you guys yeah man like I do and that's the truth and there, there was guys within the police service that I there was no way I could show weakness or would show weakness in front of them mm-hmm. to my fault and having somebody outside that network to, to handle you and to like do what you did for me and I'm talking like that was months later and and you didn't do that as a doctor you did that as a friend and and I feel like because you did that Three weeks later, two weeks later, whatever that was, I think it was right after the 5K, man. It was, again, a, like another big moment, and then I had a rough lapse, and you were there to kind of answer some questions. And, and again, like I feel like learning. So when you go to somebody like Dr. Sean here, Dr. Sean Harrington, like you learn some stuff, and like now you have experience. And I kind of knew that, like, hey, I just rode this wave up, the 5K, the front lines, COVID's happening, my gyms are shut down. Uh, Danny's due for surgery like there was a lot going on man and it was just a boiling point I drank too much I reached out my buddy was there to answer so you know to be like hey like that's normal what you're feeling is normal and then because of the experience the education that I got from you I was like you know what I am gonna come back from this again and mm-hmm. and we'll just you know get back to normal faster and it did work so on that note um, do you think there's value in treating it like a dentist like whether you feel like you don't need help or you do uh like because of the the stigma you think like is that what you mean yeah like just a, going in and giving your head a shake or a, or a brush or a scrub or whatever yeah i think that again that's that's totally acceptable you don't be afraid that like i'm gonna try to like hose you and string you along right that's we're busy people so if i think you're doing well i'll tell you it's okay to just come in for 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 a checkup right as you mentioned earlier having a third party like i'm not invested in like your business or your relationships right like i'm impartial i'm not trying to sway you one way or another so uh, that that's always a good thing um and like everything like i I know you guys talk about this all the time it's holistic right so you know the mind affects the body body affects the mind why would you neglect one one of those pieces Uh, it just it doesn't make sense right i mean it also i think it all starts within and absolutely, I think you guys need to realize everybody who's like, who's considering this or who wants to go see somebody is that like one doctors like Sean and everybody else, all his colleagues that they know them all. But you guys are like your your dockets are full. It's not like you're going to a business like you know the garage gym post COVID where we could use twenty five members. <laughs> you know this guy like he's not your hours are going to get filled up whether you go or not so you're not there you want to fix people as fast as possible you're not there to string them along and get more money out of them or get more time out of them or embarrassment like you wanted for me 
you wanted to get me, man, as fast as I could. Like, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, you know what? Maybe I am ready. And you're like, yeah, you are ready. Go. If you need me, you come back. And that's that's the relationship that you should be getting. And make sure you connect with the guy that you go to or a girl that you go to because that's huge too. And, you know, just yeah. go forward. The big point, I think, that just keeps you, don't be afraid to, to reach out and help. Because, like, it might be as simple as reaching out to you and then you giving them the advice to it's as simple as talking to someone close to you like that might be the solution yeah exactly and then on the other side if a friend reaches out to you talk to them if you don't think you can handle it find maybe another one of your friends you can refer them to don't gossip about it but maybe you know someone comes up to me with something i don't know if it's i can handle yeah i might reach out to tony and be like this is a third party that you don't really know but i know he's dealt with this shit why don't you talk to him or maybe get Tony, call my friend and just bullshit with them for a bit and see what's going on. Cause that, it might be as simple as that just to get people, you know, talking about it and getting out of that slumber mindset that they're in. Oh, for sure. So like, very last question, uh, alcohol. Alcohol is like, as we have a beer, you know, we're, but we're having a beer cause we're celebrating together and we're hanging out and we're having a beer. There's, so there's the social aspect of alcohol, but there's also, and for me, alcohol was a crutch in so many nights that's how my night ended and it would end for me alcohol never made anything better and i would like to believe that's probably the standard for most people is especially when i was down in a dump it would bring me lower so when somebody's feeling like they need a drink what's a step what, what would you is there something there that you would throw out there yeah if you're feeling like you need a drink um you probably shouldn't imbibe right if, if you can i'm not saying like if you want to decompress have like a couple beers or something after work that's fine right um, but if you're always reaching for a drink that's probably more in the avoidance vein right like you just want to forget about stuff not think about it not go through you know your regular routine yeah. um yeah so it, it could be a problem depending on how often you're doing it um yeah that's it that's it if you need a drink <laughs> if you need a drink because you want to smile and laugh and hang out with some people that you had a long day and you want to cool down i think that's one thing for me was the needing a drink so i could feel better and that's what would happen for a couple hours and then it would it's when you're i think, I think what you're trying down. to point is like when when you feel like you're using it to numb yourself to yeah. get out of that mindset to avoid that stuff right that's when it becomes an issue. It can be okay temporarily. If you had a shitty day and you come home and, you know, crack a bottle of wine with your wife or something, sure, not a bad thing. But if you're doing that consistently, uh, and the other thing is, as we've talked about, um, usually you feel shitty, like, physically the next day. You don't have the best sleep. So then your resources to deal with that anxiety or whatever you're dealing with aren't there, you know. Um, and they tend to feel worse. You, you tend to feel worse or more anxious messes with your brain chemistry a little bit you can be more anxious just like your body needs sleep to you know to build up that bench press and build that muscle your brain needs that sleep to be able to build a resilience to handle with everyday stress and make that stress into a positive fuel that's kind of how i've started to see it and i i understand that for many years that's not how i did it so like i i can't uh, emphasize that enough to people if you find yourself drinking too much do something about it and if you need help do something about it so if somebody does need help sean and they want to talk to you or get set up through you uh to one of your colleagues what could they do 
Yeah, they can reach out to uh, someone at uh, Paragon Psychological Services. They can uh, call our number. We can best like direct them to uh, whoever would be best for them. Um, you know, there's services in the community too, like Alcoholics Anonymous. I think they have a, a number you could call, uh, go to a meeting. If you know somebody who's, you know, uh, goes to meetings, you can talk to them, uh, connect with them. Again, peer support networks or uh, EAP, those are all resources you could use. And if someone wants to reach you directly, where would they go? Uh, so you can uh, call uh, Paragon Psychological Services, um, 226-221-8440. Awesome. So takeaways from today's show, man. If you guys uh, feel like your friend needs help, they need help. Reach out. If you feel like you need help, you need help. Reach out. Okay, and Sean is here. And if anybody listening, since I first talked about this, I don't, I've sent a handful of people Sean's way. I have no problem doing that. And Sean will find a way to help you or find somebody else who can help you. So please feel free if you feel more comfortable. Casey's uh, one of the most understanding guys, wise beyond his years, and he will uh, he'll set you up. We, we all have resources and we will get you the help you need. Uh, take your job seriously, but take your life more seriously. And that's the key to today, I really think. And so thank you so much, man, for everything. Honestly, for everything you have done for me, you've, you've changed my life and I hope it continues that same route. I understand that I'm not, I always have to make sure that I have some attention to that. And I, I'm glad that I have you here to keep me accountable. So thank you very much for coming on today, but for everything you've done for me. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, like I said, man, you did the work, right? I just kind of pointed you in the right direction. So just like training guys you guys do the work we just we just point in the right direction same thing cheers thank you cheers